the entire team wanted to reach out to you. I know we've posted you, you know, for many years, and it's funny. Our interns are so uh, fascinated with your resume. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the mystique is probably better than the reality, but (laughs) yeah, we got we got to meet her. We got to meet her. So we really appreciate you, you know, um, uh, you know, giving us the opportunity to be able to speak with you. So y'all, we have Dr. Pozo here, who is a plastic surgeon based in Atlanta, Georgia, and we wanted to just learn more about you, your lifestyle, and kind of, you know, what brought you into this area of plastic surgery. So we can actually start uh, by you giving us a little snippet of your background. So I'm originally from Ghana, West Africa. I grew up all over the world, though. So my parents, um, they both did their education in Germany, um, so for their professional school. At that time, Ghana was shipping out sort of their best and brightest to various countries. And um, I think as a result of that, they were very open to sort of moving around. They actually tried to return home, um, but that was the only coup in Ghanaian history. And so Mm. there was a lot of brain drain, I think, that happened around that time. Um, So in any case, I grew up all over uh, Germany, Canada, the UK, and moved to the United States at the end of high school. That probably was the most traumatic move for me because I'd been in Canada for seven years up until then and I was sort of poised to finish high school and had all my high school plans together and um, my mother up and moved us to California. But I guess man plans and God plans. So I don't know. I mean, I've always been, education has always been um, highlighted. Um, Definitely, I think uh, most people who have West African parents can um, attest to that. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) And my mother um, is a dentist who then became an oral surgeon. And my father is an electrical engineer. Wow. so my mother told me not to be a dentist, but she never told me not to be a surgeon. And I don't think I ever appreciated that she was a surgeon, really. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess I, you know, the fact that we moved to the U.S., I, I mean, I'm sure that I would have been, I would have gone down a similar pathway in Canada. And I definitely was looking at some of the best schools in Canada But, you know, as I look at my peers from high school and kind of look at how their lives, I just, I'm, I'm curious whether I would have been quite as driven. I'm, I'm not, I'm not certain. Um, But we moved to the U.S. at the end of high school. I didn't even know what the SAT was, found out about three weeks before I had to take it. Luckily, it went well. And I did the ACT also, that went well. And somehow, um, again, by God's grace, um, I got a full scholarship to UC Berkeley, which wow. was very unusual given that I was an international student. Um, so I was very lucky that that happened. Um, did five years there, um, took a year in between where I, um, worked being a teacher. I taught chemistry and earth science. I knew I was going to medical school. So during that year, I was applying to medical school and trying to pay down some of my credit card debt and what have you, was living at home. Um, My parents nearly died with me doing that. Um, 
because you know they're used to go, doing everything back to back to back. So they're very worried. Um, but I ended up um, matriculating to Harvard and I was there for medical school. I did an MPH while I was there and then I did my residency training in the integrated plastic surgery program while I was there. Um, so that was 11 years in Boston, and then I did one more year of fellowship in oculoplastic and aesthetic surgery um, here in Atlanta at what was at that time Pace's Plastic Surgery. Okay. Wow. So it seems like it, it was very evident to you from the very beginning that medicine was the path that you wanted to take. Yeah, it, it was, but I was definitely one of those people who investigated everything else. So it was almost as though I wanted to prove to myself or, or that that was, you know, my ultimate goal. So when I was in college, um, I definitely went in as pre-med. I was a science major, but I did all the other things. So I taught high school. I taught um, African-American literature and African-American wow. black relationships, um, obviously under the, the supervision of, of one of the high school teachers, but I would come into his class every Friday to help teach his class. I um, did bench style research with um, Xenopus Levis Frogs. I did a lot of community service. I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Awesome. So I just, I investigated whether I wanted to go the PhD route. Did I want to do research? Did I want to teach? Did I want to be sort of, you know, more in, in a community um, act, action type of position, um, you know, not for, for profit type of thing. And everything that I enjoyed doing led me back to medicine. That's awesome. So Dr. Pozo, you, you sound like a very high performer. So someone like you, I feel like you have to have a very regimented uh, day. So I wanted to pivot and ask, are there certain things that you uh, essentially do to get your day started to really get you centered? And overall now, what does your day to day look like? Yeah, you know, huh. I think that as the, the more seasoned, I won't call myself older, the more seasoned that you get, the more that you find yourself that you do have to be a little bit more mindful and thoughtful about how you conserve your energy. And let's be clear, I am not very good at this. Um, I have always been a go hard in the paint kind of person. I am a work hard, play hard person. Um, but I'm a person who has a hard time saying no. Um, I tend to try to do more and more and more. And that's definitely one thing that I would caution people as they are coming up in the ranks. This is definitely a marathon. And, um, you know, the numbers are small. We want the numbers of um, Black um, people in science, period, um, yep. particularly in the United States of America. Um, certainly in medicine, but we, we still are very, very, we, the numbers are so small and the demands on you are so, can be exhausting. So what do I do now? Again, I'm saying that this is me trying to get more disciplined as I have had the experience of hitting that proverbial wall because I've been so exhausted. Um, I do try to meditate every morning. Right now, I would say I'm successful maybe four days a week. Well, it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. And, 
you know, um, I was speaking to somebody who said, you know, give yourself a little grace. And that's something that I have a very hard time doing, but give yourself some, some points. There's some value, even if you are able to do five minutes. Um, I do that. Um, so it's usually, I can usually either get some meditation or some level of exercise. Um, right now I've had to calm it down and kept it to walking, but I do um, enjoy exercising. I was usually a sort of go to the gym, do some spin class, see my trainer a little bit. Um, but that has been sort of upended with COVID. So, but I do try to do some level of exercise at least four days a week. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I think that the biggest thing transition has been becoming a parent. So um, trying to put some more boundaries regarding doing things like checking emails incessantly um, and really trying to switch off when I come home. So between five and about seven thirty, eight o'clock when she goes down, I really try not to do any work during that time. I'm sure. Now with your, with your type of work being that you are a plastic surgeon, is it the type of work that, you know, requires you to continue to work after you leave the office or what does that look like? Yeah, it does. You know, plastic surgery has such a broad range. So I'm in academia. I have a probably 80, 20% reconstructive to aesthetic practice. I'm very different than your average plastic surgery academic because your average academic is not by themselves. Um, I have been by myself um, uh, at Morehouse School of Medicine for many years now. Um, and so that means that you're never off, which is something that's more common in the private practice setting, mm. especially if you don't have a partner. So um, I try to make sure that my patients are really well managed, you know, that they know what to expect. I give them detailed instructions. Um, but if there's an emergency that happens, it's me. If there are some questions that come up over the weekend or at night, it's me. But the good news is that I can try to, you know, in plastic surgery, you can tailor your practice so that it can decrease the amount of times that you have emergencies like that. So I'm not a plastic surgery hand surgeon. So I'm not constantly being called at night for people who've cut their fingers off that need to be put back on or, um, you know, people who have major hand infections and things like that, that could be emergencies that have you up all the time. And, um, up all hours of the night. I don't do that. Sure, sure. You know, plastic surgery is such an interesting um, area to me. And I know your practice involves quite a range of, you know, um, different aspects right, or different facets. I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you about, you know, some misconceptions about plastic surgery, because right now, and, and this is just what I'm seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing it at a high level, especially in Atlanta, that there are so many people who are going to get plastic surgery, you know, the, the tummy tucks, you know, breast surgery. Overall, you know, what are some misconceptions about plastic surgery and why yeah. is it so taboo? You know, why do we not talk about it as much? So that's interesting. I actually think it's becoming less taboo now. I think that in some ways there is, and I think you're alluding to this, some level of overexposure in the media to a certain facet of plastic surgery um, not just cosmetic surgery. I, I enjoy doing aesthetic or cosmetic surgery, but in a very sort of um, exploit, exploitatory 
manner, you know, so just in our social media, you know, Instagram model, just too much uh, type of way. And I think, unfortunately, that's the way that plastic surgery is often seen. Um, So I think that that's a, a misconception. Plastic surgery includes craniofacial surgery, which is like facial trauma in adults, Um, changing people's faces um, to fit their uh, gender that they identify with, cleft lift, cleft palate. We are the original hand surgeons, so um, there there are a fair number of us who still practice hand surgery. Microsurgery, which means taking, you know, your tissue from one part of the body to another part of the body. It's usually for reconstruction, and we're doing tiny little blood vessels underneath the microscope, artery to artery, vein to vein. So that's the type of thing you're doing if you do a face transplant, for example. That's Mm -hmm. like uber micro. Um, I mean, all types of reconstruction from head to toe, burns, in addition to the cosmetic um, surgery that we do. So I think that that's, that's the issue. I think that people only really think of that, the aesthetic side to it. Sure. Sure. In fact, I have a personal question that I I would like to know just for my general knowledge. So when we think about cosmetic surgery, specifically like the tummy tucks, right? Removing fat from your stomach. Is that, I mean, I I see it all the time and it's almost as if you can kind of tell that they've gotten work done, but overall, is that like, I don't know, like what are some issues with that procedure or is it all the way? Okay. Yeah. So listen, there are risks and benefits to every surgery. Okay. And um, most plastic surgery procedures are elective. Um, Most of them, not all, but most of them are elective procedures, meaning that you don't have to do it, right? And so certainly something like a tummy tuck um, is an elective surgery. Um, If it's done well, um, surgeries that are done well and tastefully on the right patient um, by a board-certified plastic surgeon often turn out pretty well and people (laughs) feel really happy. You know, you just, it's not a way to improve somebody's self-esteem, but we can help people feel more self-confident, which is something that's really gratifying. But something as, um, as, as, as we see it all the time, a tummy tuck or abdominoplasty can go vastly wrong and there are you need to know what you're doing if you do liposuction incorrectly people have biopsied people's kidneys and biopsied people's livers and i'm using biopsy in quotation marks here um, because that's not what is intended um you know people um when we're tightening your abdomen there's we're putting pressure on the vessels inside your abdomen so one of the things that is actually an increased risk when you do an abdominoplasty is blood clots that can go from your legs to your lungs so as a plastic surgeon i need to think through what are your risk factors for getting blood clots beyond the surgery that i'm doing deciding what treatment i'm going to put you on post-operatively to help prevent that Um, And then just being overall in good health and being a good candidate, you know, people can get them. It's a it's real surgery. And when we don't know your medical history or people choose inappropriate candidates, things can go very, very badly. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned uh, 
you know, making sure you, you, you get this done with a board certified plastic surgeon like yourself. And, you know, I find it so interesting back in the day, you know, when folks wanted to get surgery of some kind, they would always refer to go to Brazil. They have the best doctors, but it's like, we got doctors in America, you know, you've got individuals who are able to do this in a very, very competent manner. I mean, they're as beautiful cosmetic plastic surgery or aesthetic plastic surgery as we prefer in the field in Brazil. Um, you know, they're brilliant doctors worldwide um, and they're brilliant doctors here, um, you know, in the United States. I think that it's always valuable that if you can find a person who is, has the skill set to do your surgery locally or semi-locally, that's always the way to go. Um, first of all, within the country and within a language that you are familiar with, you can actually vet that person, right? If I went to Brazil today, I wouldn't know immediately how to make sure somebody was board certified from a Brazilian standpoint, make sure that the hospital or the surgical facility was accredited, et cetera, right? So that would be problematic for me if I were in another country. Um, here, you have the opportunity to have a, an easier time to do that. Um, you can check if we are board certified in plastic and reconstructive surgery. Yeah. Um, you can make sure we're operating somewhere that is safe. Um, and when you have complications, and listen, if anybody tells you they have zero complications, they're either a liar or they don't operate enough, okay? Yeah. We have complications. It hurts us to our core because inherently most of us are perfectionists. But if you have a problem, you want to know that your doctor is there, that they have the skill set to get you through the complication, and that they're going to be available to you to take you through that. You know, going abroad, and, and most of the time now we hear it from the Dominican Republic, and I've heard horror horror stories. Um, these are elective procedures. We cut, you know, your family should not be having a conversation about why you died. Mm, that's crazy. Wow. That's the ultimate price for something that looked normal, right? You just didn't like it that much, but it, you know, it's not worth it. Yeah, for sure. You know, you've reached um, what many would say is the pinnacle of success, right? <laughs> what, you know, with this in mind, what are some aspirations? I know you mentioned, you know, you're Ghanaian, you're here practicing, you know, in a, in a very prominent town. What are some aspirations that you have at the current moment and also some future aspirations? Gosh, you know, probably if you'd asked me three to five years ago, I would have been very clear cut about wanting to be, um, to continue to progress in leadership in medicine, um, like in academia at a medical school. One of my secret dream jobs has always been to be the dean of an, an institution. It wasn't necessarily of a medical school. Um, I don't know if that makes me an actual crazy person, but um, you know, it's it's very interesting um, for you to ask me that question. I think that I'm at this point, you know, when you get to the middle, sort of the middle-ish of your career, that you you feel this, you feel like it's a time for change or a time for transition. Sure. Sometimes you don't know exactly what 
that looks like. What I've always thought is that I'm really blessed to change the world as a plastic surgeon and, and directly interacting with my patients, but that is not my only um, task on this earth. Absolutely. Um, and so I'm thinking through that right now, you know, what's next? I see lots of exciting things happening in medicine in the United States that's reflecting the time that we are in discussing racism. Um, I'm really impressed by the, the, the activity and energy of a lot of the younger up-and-coming surgeons and medical students that I see. Um, and I'm actually really enjoying, um, and I'm talking about, you know, putting together organizations, putting together things like um, Time's Up PRS to talk about the inequities in plastic surgery from a woman or underrepresented minority standpoint. And um, it actually has been really nice to learn from the next generation and be to some level feel like a part of the ranks in supporting them although some of them may see me in a mentorship role but i think sure. that i'm learning a lot because this is a it's a different time some of the the problems the problems have been present for hundreds of years um but there's a different, there's something different that's happening. And I think that it's important for um, some younger voices to lead the way. Absolutely. You know, your story reminds me of uh, Michelle Obama's book, uh, Becoming. You know, I don't know if you had a chance to read that. Yes. Just, just because it's like, I, I, the way it, it has been written is so fascinating. Just because, you know, you go from, you know, being this, you know, young black girl in Chicago to being first lady and then following that you're trying to find yourself and I think that that's incredible because it's it's really about the story you know long term you know there's no one point where it's over I'm sure you have you know uh, individuals who look up to you and who really uh, admire you but you know you're still actually going through your journey yourself you know yes I am very much becoming Chief Pozo you know um Chief Pozo Bennett that's my married name um and it's exciting and it's tiring and growth hurts uh, no matter how, where you are, what stage you are in your life. Um, and so, and there's something that's um, exhilarating and humbling about that, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. One of the things you mentioned was this uh, concept of mentors. And I wanted to ask you, who were your mentors on your journey? And, you know, now being, you know, a, a plastic surgeon, who are your mentors now? Yeah. So mentorship is such a huge thing and I think is so key in our ability to progress, um, to progress. Um, one person who I will say, I want to start with her because um, I don't know whether you would classically call her my mentor, but she was my initial inspiration and was the first person who made me aspire to be a surgeon. And this was a, a black woman who was the chief resident um, in my, men, uh, my women's and children's rotation. So this was during gynecology 
in medical school. And I remember her putting my hand on the aorta during a big GYN case and just feeling the patient's entire blood volume, you know, their very life pulse pulsate under my hand um, was an awe-inspiring experience. And she was amazing. She was, she was powerful, sincere, intelligent, you know, and I think that she was my first reflection, although in, hilariously, my mother is a surgeon, but she was my first time that I felt as though, oh, yeah, you know, this is, this is someplace where I see myself. And this is somebody who I, I was, I didn't think I was going to be a surgeon when I went to medical school. I actually was quite certain that that's what I did not want to do. Um, but on my pathway, at Harvard, when I first started my journey, there I believe there was only one female surgeon, period. Um, definitely nobody of color. There was one chief resident as I was entering, he was leaving, who, was a, um, who is a black man, who was a black man. Um, and so there was nobody who looked like me. Um, but, you know, I have had the most amazing mentorship from a lot of very, very, very seasoned white haired white men, (laughs) you know, who believed in me and supported me and mentored me, um, through my initial, um, journey. Um, Definitely also at Harvard Medical School, where people at that time, Dean Nancy Oriel was um, our student, um, our dean of students at the time, Dr. Alvin Poussant, um, you know, um, there were a lot of people at Harvard um, who, Dr. Augustus White, who is an eminent orthopedic spine surgeon um, and was master of our society, um, who mentored me um, and helped me, just just helped me to have some of the confidence, um, you know, and the audacity (laughs) to pursue my dreams. Um, As a more senior person, I think it gets more and more challenging to find mentorship. Now, I'm also not the best mentor in the world, mentee in the world, (laughs) Um, but I have um, Dr. K. Marie Reed, who is um, a hepatobiliary surgeon at Morehouse School of Medicine, who has given me so much insight. You get a lot of mentors from people, mentorship from people who are your peers, because sometimes we have strengths different types of strengths, you know. Um, Dr. Ford Nahai, who was my fellowship, um, my, um, who was my uh, fellowship director, he has, um, he is an internationally known um, plastic surgeon and is a gentleman surgeon and kind and has always, um, supported me you know if he had research opportunities he got me involved and he has um been uh, i think closest to a sponsor um that i've had a chance to experience sure yeah it seems like you're pulling you know you have mentors in so many different areas it's not just you know most people that you ask who's your mentor it's typically in the in the area 
that they see themselves in. But you, I mean, you're talking about somebody who is, you know, a doctor who focuses in uh, hepatobiliary medicine. You know, yeah. so that's it's incredible. And I, 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 I don't think you focus on that, but you're able to actually call on her. You know, so that's absolutely. Incredible. I mean, listen, the fact is, um, we're unicorns. It's not like there's so many of us, you know, and there are not that many um, black female plastic surgeons who are sort of, you know, 10 years ahead of me to take me under their wing. There are some and I know them, but I also know the feeling of um, everybody, everybody is calling them, you know, Absolutely. so yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, I wanted to ask you, uh, moving away from plastic surgery, just, you know, get a sense of your overall life outside of academia. What are some of your hobbies? You know, what are, I know COVID right now has changed things, but what do you like to do for fun? COVID is definitely a hater. Um, but <laughs> I love to travel. That's a huge one. You know, I was lucky that I sort of grew up all over the world. And I think that that gave me a very open mind um, to a wide range of people and, and wanting to engage in the human experience. So I love travel. I'm definitely a foodie. Um, so, I mean, I guess I can order in a lot in COVID. <laughs> um, I also like to, um, you know, exercise mostly group. I like group um, group exercise, um, but that, of course, again, has been sort of dead to the world um, during COVID. Um, so those are probably some of my highlights. There are a few secret things. I'm very handy, you know, so I do both sort of crafty things around the house. I know how to knit. That's pretty nerdy, um, you know. So I like doing little projects around the house, especially little artistic um, things. Sure. So that's another uh, little hobby of mine. That's awesome. It's, it's good to have a, um, an area to go to outside of your routine day of work, you know. So uh, I know you mentioned uh, we were talking about Ghana earlier on, and I had the chance to go to Ghana. Uh, this was December of last year. When I tell you, it changed my entire frame of reference. Um, you know, I was that born in year of the return. Oh my goodness. Uh, you didn't go? <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. Why not? You missed it. I know. And literally everybody I felt like I knew in the world was out there having so much fun. I had a six month old on my hand. So. <laughs> ah, makes sense. No, absolutely. Makes sense. You know, Ghana. So I was born in Nigeria. You know, I came to America when I was six and you know, I've never been to Ghana. And now, especially since Ghana and Nigeria, it's literally our flight. I have to go to Ghana every year because I, I typically go back to Nigeria every year. So Ghana is part of the destination moving forward. Ghana is such a wonderful place. Um, I always recommend it as a place to start people's uh, visiting of the continent if they haven't had the pleasure yet. I have lots of family there still. My mother is one of nine. Um, and I think she's the only one of her siblings now who is living outside of Ghana. Um, we, our family is definitely the diaspora. So I have, you know, family all over the world, but, um, it's, there's nothing like home. And I really look forward to being able to take my daughter there. I was able to do, um, um, have some um, experience um, in plastic surgery in Ghana. I got some wonderful education and teaching 
um, at Kolebu um, my mm. chief year um, in plastic surgery, and I learned so much. Um, and so I'm very lucky that I still keep in touch with um, two of um, my plastic surgery colleagues um, there who are, you know, doing their best to make a difference. I mean, if you, if you think that the numbers are small here, I mean, the number of them compared to the need of the country is um, significant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Poza, where can we find you? You know, where, you know, anybody who's listening to this, who wants to be able to follow you on social media, where can we find you? Yes, please follow me. I'm at Dr. Pozo everywhere. So that is uh, Dr. Dr. K like kite, P like Peter, O, D like Dorothy, Z like zebra, O. And I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. Um, so LinkedIn, if you want to link. Awesome. So, so <laughs> Dr. Dr. Pulsa, when are you going to venture off into YouTube or is that for the future? Oh, it's for the future, <laughs> Dr. Oladeli. <laughs> right now, my patients give me a hard time that I don't post enough pictures of my work. So, so yes, we are waiting. We are waiting. <laughs> so literally, we went through your uh, Instagram profile the other day. We're like, man, the last time we posted her was several months ago. Like, what is she doing? Where is she at? So, yes, we need more presence. Yes, I am. I am working on it. You know, there's so much to balance um, in academia and in taking good care of my patients and taking good care of my family. So, um, but I will. I will try to do better. Absolutely, absolutely. We really appreciate this conversation, and you know, in the future, we'll definitely be reaching out. You know, as your practice advances, you know, we definitely want to stay connected with you. So, thanks so much for this opportunity to speak today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. I mean, I really am um, very honored to, to be able to participate. Absolutely. This was awesome. So Dr. Uh, Pozo, what we're going to do is that um, once, you know, once this is over, uh, it's going to go on live the next few, uh, probably in the next like two weeks, but you know, we'll certainly tag you and we just want to keep this going just to, as a way of inspiring the community, because people like yourself, I mean, you guys are out there doing great work and we need more African-Americans to know, you know, that there are individuals like this who are doing this work. So, you know, we, we really appreciate you. I know. And, and we have the skill set. I'll tell you, it has nothing to do with the skill set. It has to do with opportunities and systemic issues, systemic racism that holds us from um, being able to do all the things we're, we want to and are capable of doing. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Well, have a good rest of your day. Enjoy yeah. Atlanta, and hopefully, I'll see you in the uh, yes, in the near future. So, absolutely. you have my um, I left my cell phone number in the communication, so definitely okay. feel free to shoot me a text. I'm way better at texting <laughs> for sure. For sure, <laughs> we'll do. Okay. All so right, bye bye. Have, have a good day. day. Take care. You've been listening to Back to Basics Podcast with Dr. A.O. Subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play to receive exclusive weekly conversations on the fundamentals of daily living. Life is not meant to be complicated, so let's make it easier by returning Back to Basics.